Hello and welcome to My Life on the Line, a podcast by RefCoach. I'm Jack and as always I'm joined by Ale. On this podcast we show the humans behind the whistle through the eyes of referees past and present as well as the broader footballing world. Today's guest is somebody who is very familiar to RefCoach listeners. It is John Westbrooks, back our favourite MLS sports scientist. Great to have him back today. With John, we talked about the COVID-affected season in the MLS and how he's been preparing his referees for the new season and what are the differences between having all the referees in the bubble and now all spread across the country. We also spoke to John about something really, really exciting that it has launched for RefCoach members. John has designed some training programs exclusively for ref coach referees. Now, we talk to John about the importance of training programs and we go into depth about what these programs are and how they can help you take your game to the next level. You'll hear about those training programs in the podcast, but if you want to check them out, head to refcoach.org forward slash shop and you'll find them all there. I recommend a on-field review. Stop it, stop it, stop it! Okay, we're going for it. John, great to have you back. It's been a little while, almost 12 months, I think, since you were last on the podcast. And the last time we spoke to you, you were in the MLS bubble, correct me if I'm wrong, you were in Orlando, um, in this this strange bubble world that the MLS went into, <laughs> along with a lot of other sports across the world. But it's, it's great to see you. It's great to have you back um excited to to be chatting with you today yeah thanks for having me back guys it uh kind of sounds like we've switched places last time we talked i was uh kind of locked down in my mls <laughs> bubble and now i'm free and you guys are locked down it's funny how these things happen but no it's great to have you back mate you you're making the lockdown better for us it's uh you're a bit <laughs> of a ref coach le- legend now uh been around for a while with us from the beginning so yeah, for those listening, so we're recording on the 2nd of June in Melbourne, where Ali and live, is unfortunately back into a lockdown due to COVID. Hopefully it won't last too long and we can get back out on the football pitch and, and referee because obviously football has stopped for, for this period. So fingers crossed. Obviously, John, a lot has changed in the world and also in football since since we last talked to you. Um, but tell us about how kind of the MLS season closed out because obviously it was the most unique MLS season there has ever been. The teams and the referees would have faced challenges that they've never faced before. Yeah, it was a it was an interesting experience. So coming out of the bubble, everybody went back to in-market venues. So they're playing at their home stadiums outside of the Canadian teams who had to all move down to the U.S. for the remainder of the season. And that went for our Canadian officials as well. Three Canadian referees moved down to the States and basically lived out of hotels for the remainder of the season and would just fly around to games. So they had a very unique set of circumstances because they didn't get to stay at home. They didn't get to go home and they had to train out of a hotel the whole time. So they had a very unique circumstance. The other big piece that was unique is the COVID testing protocols. So the officials had to go on a cadence of getting tested like every five days, no matter what. And then they had to be tested day before the match. So they had to fly in a day early, which in some ways is nice because they were able to be in market doing training. And so they would fly in, say it's a Saturday game. They would fly in on Thursday. They'd get to do their game prep. They'd have a full day of resting at the hotel and then they'd have their game on Saturday 
and then fly home. Some of the other big kind of issues was schedule congestion. So, I mean, the MLS schedule is already pretty congested and you have a lot of um, like Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday match setups. But given they were trying to cram in as many matches as possible to just get as many games in, get as much TV viewership as they could, we were having a very congested schedule. With that, though, we were able to bring in a lot of our Pro 2 officials. So we had, I believe, five referees get their get an MLS whistle, um, which was really exciting. It was a good way to bring in some young blood and give them opportunities and let them kind of get their feet wet with a little bit lower stakes since it's a COVID season. And we had a number of assistant referees who were also able to get their first MLS line. And a couple because of that were promoted within our Pro 2 group because of how well they did on their MLS opportunities. And then going down a step in the USL, we, because of COVID testing, we took over assigning all of the USL matches, which before we would assign some and then the national assigners. So there's throughout the US, there's national assigners that assign kind of their region. And so we took over all of that, which allowed us to really kind of increase the opportunities that we're able to see people. Yeah. And is that your is that your second division or third division? USL has our second and our third division. So USL okay. championship is second division. USL right. League One is our third division. So from that, we were able to increase our, basically our program size quite a bit. We added, I believe, 20 new officials on the referee side alone, just from people that normally would not have gotten an opportunity, but because we didn't want to travel people and we needed officials to fill these games, we were able to see people and go, oh, wow, this person's actually pretty good. Let's bring them into our program. And some of them have started this year off really strong as well. So really excited about being able to make the best of an unfortunate circumstance and give opportunities to people that it would have, we may or may not have seen them. So that that part has been a very nice surprise to this whole situation. And one of the other unique things that the referees had to deal with, as everybody who watched soccer last year knows, is no fans in stadiums for a large part. So towards the end of our season, they started to bring fans back, but it was definitely an interesting experience to be like, I've heard a lot about Portland. Portland yeah, it looks in sick normal and times that guy is just a raucous, the... loud environment. <laughs> and <Man. laughs> Whereas, where I believe his name's uh, Timber Joe. Yeah, um, when they score a goal or before a game, the, the lumberjack yeah. gets up. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, yep. He, uh, every time they score a goal, he'll cut a piece off. And if the keeper gets a clean sheet, he'll cut a piece off. And then they, <laughs> the player gets to take it. Yeah. It's, it's a really, really cool quirk about Portland. So, but it was just the officials were kind of just blown away with uh, how different it was in those atmospheres without uh, without the player or without the fans the kind of nice part slash not nice part is you could hear everything the coaches yeah, were saying that, and, there's pros and cons to that yeah so there were instances where it had to be a little bit more enforced on technical area management but overall i think the officials adapted to that environment pretty well and i do want to give one plug to something we did at the end wow. of the MLS's back tournament, which was the open line VAR situation, which they're 
they're in yeah. communication and stuff with iFab, but yeah. it would be cool to see that again. That was a pretty neat, neat setup, but it was, yeah. And it was specifically set because of the enclosed environment of MLS's back that allowed us the opportunity to kind of show some fans what goes on in that environment. So that was also a cool piece at the end of MLS's back. So yeah, we, the season went a little bit later than scheduled because it went, it started a little bit later, but Overall, because of the nice offseason that a lot of the officials had with when everything went into lockdown, our injury rate was quite a bit lower than expected. So that was really nice. I was I was going to ask about this because you talk about how, you know, the, the, they're going Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday mm-hmm. or whatever it was. So did that mean the number of games the officials were doing was a lot higher than a normal season or the the cadence of games was just pushed closer. Yeah, the together. cadence was pushed closer together. So the actual total number of games was less because the season was so much shortened. But like just the density of matches was quite a bit higher because yeah, we'll in a normal season we'll have a number of officials hit twenty games, but with the shortened season that didn't happen. Yeah. So so how did you how did you manage them? Because obviously that makes your not your role is important anyway, but that makes your role even more important because it's really you're having to be, I would presume, a lot more hands-on with the officials. How are you feeling? And that would have such an impact on the appointments because the turnaround is so short. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it was just kind of, for lack of a better word, triage. So it was just finding one or two sessions a week where you give somebody some training, figuring out what they need. A big one that's part of our philosophy is sprinting often Mm -hmm. and trying to hit max velocity often. So you may not have another training session in the week, but you're going to sprint at least once and hit, try to hit max velocity at least once. That's kind of like just finding the minimum amount you can have somebody do switching to a lot of alternate. So pool, bike, things like that, where they're, they're off their legs, but keeping a lot of strength work in was very, very important. So, but kind of cutting out all of that extra stuff. How did you balance, how did you balance that? It's something I'm really interested in that strength work and gym work with such a high game load that's something you know personally i'm thinking about with you know when you're doing games where you want to you don't need to be hitting pbs in the gym every single week mm-hmm. on your squats but you know what level were you telling these guys to train at so that they did enough for injury prevention but they would still be fresh you know probably two three days later maybe less to be able to go out there and, and do nine. yeah minutes. so one piece is minimizing it's a little boring but minimizing variation So when you're switching exercises consistently, your body is going to get more sore because it's Mm -hmm. having to get used to a new stimulus all the time. So you keep kind of the same core exercises. um, So the body's used to it and you reduce the volume. So instead of doing like five sets of five, you're doing like three sets of three or four sets of three. And so just the total amount of work is lower, but you still keep the weight pretty high. So you're thinking like not max. So like somewhere between 80 and 90% of your max, whether that's an actual tested max or just kind of your, Oh, this feels like a eight out of eight out of 10 type of lift, keeping the intensity still kind of high, but the volume low, because the volume is really what will add up and get you, but that you still want the strength stimulus of that 80 to 90% intensity or 80 to 90% effort. Interesting. Uh, See, not that I had any reason to think this, but I thought it would be the opposite where you would just reduce the weight and do your normal program. But it's interesting. No, just lower the volume, keep the weight, but lower the volume. Yeah. 
I can testify that because John get, got me excited with all the, the stuff that we've done together in his programs. And I've gone back to training and I've put really low weights up the volume and I'm always hurt. I yeah. can't walk. <laughs> <laughs> so then it's, it's, it hasn't worked for me in a while, but it's amazing. It's, it's, it's very interesting. And it would have been a challenge as well, thinking about the last time we talked, how you said it was great to have all the official in one spot. Uh, when you were in the bubble and you could all train together. So that was really good for you because you didn't really have to worry about officials spread all over the country. But now, obviously, that you've, you've gone back to a situation where that's not the case anymore. Um, how did you approach that? Was that a challenge? How did officials feel a difference? Did the referee sort of go, oh, I miss John sort of looking after me every every session? Or it's definitely a lot problem? tougher. Um I haven't seen a lot of the officials in almost a year now. Like, and I would at least back before COVID, I would go to games. And if somebody wasn't someone that would come to camps, I would still see them at games, like at least once or twice a month. But now it's been a year since I've seen most of the officials. So it's a lot of just texting, emailing, just kind of staying like really small points of contact, but just kind of saying, Hey, how, how are things going? How's this training session? And another thing, I've been watching a silly amount of games. Like I'm watching probably seven or eight games a week and just watching the officials and then sending them a little comment like, Hey, I thought this run in this minute was really good. Um, good work with that. Or, Hey, it looks like you were kind of a little, had a little hitch in your giddy up in this game. How are you feeling? What do we need to do to adjust? So it's just kind of. That's brilliant. Yeah, it's <laughs> that's yeah. so good. Like you know that you can <laughs> video fitness assessment. I know, but it's really impactful, right? You think about it, if you're an official. Oh, and, yeah. You know, I'm sure watching the games, John. There might only be two or three things that come out of each game that you know is, is something for the refs. But to uh, think how cared for the referees would feel that yeah, you've got you know your technical coaching, assessing, blah blah blah, but you've also got somebody watching you from a physical fitness perspective, like. You, you, what you guys do so well in America is you get around your officials and, and support them so strongly. And it really is such a holistic approach, like being able to do that. I've, like You can hear the excitement in my voice. I was like, wow, that's brilliant. I wish we had that. It's amazing. Yeah. And that's been yeah. another kind of bonus to this whole COVID lockdown and not being able to go to games part is I, in the past, I wouldn't have had time to watch as many games, like not in person. Um, like it just, the timing would have been so tough with the rest of my workload, but now partially because we've streamlined so much of our other stuff with my third boss now coming in and taking charge, we've kind of minimized a lot of extra stuff and things are streamlined. Um, so I have more free time to watch matches, but yeah, getting those Little points of contact has been really good. Um, I think that's helped quite a bit. But overall, yeah, it's been a big challenge to not... We haven't had a camp since last March or March 2020. So like, just no in-person contact with the officials has been, has been very tough. Um, I have got to watch two games in stadium, which was nice. Two, I've gotten to go to two NWSL games up in Portland. So that, that's been nice to be back in that atmosphere. And my girlfriend is now a Thorns fan. I took her to her first game for the <laughs> Challenge Cup final. And she's mad at me because I wouldn't root for the Thorns. I'm like, I'm, I'm, here, I'm here to support the yellow team. Like, 
that's that's who I'm here to support. And like anytime something would happen and I'm not cheering, she'd kind of reach over and hit me and be like, cheer, come on. <laughs> but yeah, it's been it's been nice to uh, be able to go to a couple games in person again. So that part's been nice. But sorry, I went on a long tangent there. It was a very interesting one, at least. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, it has been very tough without getting that in-person contact. So that, that part has been very difficult. And I'm looking forward to the Gold Cup so that I will get at least in-person contact with some of my officials again. And I can imagine even the, the Canadian refs that were in hotels. So it's even a, a less favorable situation you know it, you're not at home you don't have your things around so it's one of those things where it's not just that the physical side of things but it's also the mental side of things which we know can affect so much about our body anyway uh, there would have been such a challenge to get them to go through all these type of trainings alternating uh, the strength side of things making sure they recover properly they're doing all the right stuff, when they're based off a hotel yeah, it's a, a lot of adaptability to different hotels have different things. Like it's not like yeah. you have your your standardized gym where you know what's going to be in there. One hotel, even the same brand of hotel will have different stuff than the yeah. next one. So it's being able to adapt quickly to a text that says, hey, they don't have this equipment. What should I do? Um, and coming up with things like hey, take your suitcase and fill it with everything you have and do your exercises with that. So things like that, um, for those that were staying in hotels or when they travel in early and they're a fourth official and still wanting to get their or VAR and they're wanting to get their training sessions in and the equipment isn't there. So figuring out things to do with that, putting a towel in a door to do pull down, isometric pull downs or isometric rotations, things like that. And just being very adaptable to what's available for the officials and then with the ones that are spending so much time in the hotel, it's understanding when you can push them on things, whether it's them not filling out survey their survey data like they're supposed to, or them missing a training session. It's kind of understanding when you can push them on that and when you should just kind of be like, all right, they're under a lot of extra stress right now and just kind of easing off. And that just comes from knowing the people and building a relationship with them. Want to get fitter than you've ever been before this off season? Or perhaps just in season, you want to be better prepared for your games? Head to our website at refcoach.org for some fantastic referee specific training plans. They'll get you in the best shape you've ever been. So John, it was really interesting to hear about how the season closed out and the bubble and everything that followed from that and the care you had for your officials. But how was the off-season, uh, which I don't know if it was longer or shorter than normal, but leading into this season, it would have been different, no doubt. And how did the off-season go? What was your role with the officials? Um, tell us a bit about that. Overall, it was good. It was a mess because um, we're used to a very kind of standardized block of time from the end of the season to when we're going to have our camp and when we'll do fitness testing and then when the season will start. And so the season start date got shifted back. So the positive side is we had a very long off season to which we could train. Um, so that part was a really big positive. We've seen a lot of, with the officials I work with, I've seen a lot of really positive kind of changes from the 
last season into this season. Um, and I've had a number of officials say that this is the best they felt going into a season. So some of them were just able to finally get an extended period of time off and rest. And a lot of them didn't do college games in the fall because a lot of the college games got canceled. So their overall workload was greatly reduced. And some of them were just able to hit their training at a level that they haven't been able to hit in a consistently consistency that they haven't been able to hit. So we've had, we had a lot of really good kind of physical improvements that set people up for what's going to be a very, very busy year. Some of the messy headache side on our part is we've had to do regional fitness tests. And by regional, I mean, pretty much every state has done their own fitness test. And for an official to do a game in the MLS, it has to be observed by a pro staff member. And there's two of us who our primary responsibility is monitoring fitness tests. And so from December through basically we'll have our last test at the end of this month, we've been having fitness tests. Like there was a point where I think four weekends in a row, I flew to different locations for fitness tests. I even fit one in on my break to go visit my girlfriend's family for Christmas. She lives in (laughs) St. Louis and we drove to St. Louis and then Kansas City was having the test like two days after I arrived. So I turned and drove over to St. Louis or to Kansas City, which is about four hours to watch that fitness test. Talk about commitment. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I bet your girlfriend was happy. She was very understanding. Um, oh, that's so, good. <laughs> yeah. So her and her family were very understanding of that. I did uh, promise to bring back barbecue, which helped because um, oh, sure. Kansas City is known for their barbecue. <laughs> and the other piece outside of all of that extra travel for me was the different schedules everybody's on because their fitness tests are at different points. So you have some people who tested in November or December and it's like, all right, you get a little bit of time off. And then you're straight into match prep, like basically preparing for the season. Whereas you've got other people at basically from January until coming up that you're preparing them either rehab or for a, the fitness test. And so the variation in how you're setting up the training program, what you're focusing on was kind of all over the map, depending on when they were testing and then There's some states that also can be quite difficult with uh, setting up fitness tests and egos and all of that. So trying to sort out who's covering fitness tests, are fitness tests going to happen? Oh, last minute, this fitness test is happening. So just lots of adaptability on that side. And then being willing to adjust our standards at the lower divisions as far as not having in-person fitness testing because we determined it wasn't fair to the officials that wouldn't be able to pay for a flight to go to one of these tests and their state isn't offering a test, basically Mm -hmm. opening up our window to include 2019 and then include state submitted tests with video evidence that the test was administered. So just being kind of flexible with what we're accepting for tests, which for me was hard because I, I, hold, I hold a high standard of what I want to allow on the field, <laughs> and I only trust a certain number of people to properly administer a fitness test. And so it was really hard yeah. for me to be willing to let that go. And But I think ultimately it was the most important thing to be fair to the officials that weren't in states that were willing to administer a fitness test. So, yeah, the, yeah. the preseason or off-season period – as far as from a training perspective, 
like January, February, early March, we were able to really kind of increase the volume quite a bit. So my group, basically, we were doing MAS sessions that they, everybody did a 2K starting in, um, actually, I'm going to go back and rewind a bit. So when Tom took over um, at the end of last year, we kind of simplified everything we were doing. And we really started bucketing our officials into their areas of need and the kind of ways our metrics for figuring out what somebody needs. We have their max speed, um, so max velocity meters per second. And then we have their maximal aerobic speed, which we measure via a 2K time trial. And then we have a four minute low speed treadmill run. It's at, I think it's 6.2 miles an hour for four minutes. And we look at, and then they stand there and recover for a minute. And we look at what their heart rate gets to in that fourth minute, and then how big of a drop they have for their recovery. And so those are kind of our three metrics at the moment to determine how we're going to focus somebody's training. So if they're lower on the sprint side, obviously we put a lot more sprint work in. If they're lower on the MAS side, we there's some people where I gave them two MAS sessions a week, but varied the type. And then if they're just overall endurance capacity is lower, then we'll increase the total volume of training that they're doing. So using those metrics as our guide, we were able to kind of start everybody off in January with those tests and then have been monitoring it as we went. They just, we do the uh, four minute every week. We do the MAS every three months and then max speed. We just get from their sprint session during the week and just kind of monitoring that as they go. So the first three month period, I had each group in their buckets and kind of just focused on pushing that bucket really hard. And then the next three month cycle after doing their testing, adjusted, switched a couple people into different buckets, and then, but only set that one up for about another month of really hard and then tapered off into the season. Each, I think it's awesome that you've split them up and sort of set those goals. So each bucket, each group would have had their own training plan for that. So, yeah, and then it varies. So, there's the MLS group I work with and then the tier A from pro two and then the tier B referees. So that's the group that receives individual training programs. So the way I kind of set things up is I bucket people into their groups. And then based on once we, or when we started working together, I asked everybody kind of what their, a bunch of questions, like what their preference for frequency was, what their schedule was as far as availability for training, things like that. And based on everything they gave me, I set their individual sessions up um, within that bucket. So some people's will be really, really similar within that bucket. Other people based on their job, their injury history, even within the same bucket, they will still have pretty different training. So taking the needing, a lo- they have a lower MAS session, so they need to do more high intensity work. So one person may have kind of a nagging injury and we'll switch more of their work that gets exacerbated by running. So we'll switch more of their high intensity work to swimming or biking, and they'll still do like one MAS session still running just to make sure that they keep that running stimulus because Side note, as I've learned, biking fitness is not the same as running fitness. 
Now, oh can my goodness. Did, can attest to that. <laughs> I'm getting my butt kicked right now trying to get back into running shape after spending too much time on the bike. <laughs> so you still want to keep that running stimulus in consistently, but to reduce injury likelihood, you switch the other sessions over to a bike or yeah. the pool. And then maybe somebody has a really crazy job where they're only to train, able to train a couple times a week. So they'll only have three sessions, but you try and squeeze in maybe each session starts off with a little bit of sprinting and then you go into the high intensity work. So you're still able to cover everything, but you just have to change it up. So even within the same bucket, they may still have wildly different actual sessions when you go to look at it, but the focus of the session is still the same within that bucket. And then outside of tier A on the referee and AR and tier B referees in pro two, everybody else just receives a general plan that they can kind of adjust based on what, what they need. And one of the nice things that yeah. I was able to do this year is anybody who wants to can do the 2K time trial. And then I've basically got a sheet that will auto adjust what their session should be for the MAS sessions. Oh, nice. So anybody within pro two that wants to take part in that, they can do that test and then they'll know what times they should be running at or distances they should do for the MAS sessions. And then they can see their four minute treadmill time or heart rate each week. And so they get a nice little dashboard where they can see all of that training data. And so they can figure out how they should adjust their own training based on kind of what our philosophy is. That's impressive. In the off season or your, your preseason, are the refs pretty much training on their own every week? So obviously they've got their own, and we'll talk MLS, mm -hmm. but the, so the MLS refs have got their own programs, but um, they're just training on their own or, you know, if they might have uh, a ref who's local, they might train together, but, you know, they could go to the park with their colleague or wherever they train mm -hmm. and they do their own program there. Yep. Is, is that right? Yeah, I mean, we've, we typically would be having training camps, but everything's virtual right now just due to ongoing COVID in the U.S. still. And we're looking at maybe bringing them back later in the year. But yeah, everybody just does their own thing. Um, at the MLS level, we track their training via catapult GPS units and polar watches and heart rate straps so we can get an idea of how they're doing with their training. But yeah, the, they just do it on their own. Yeah, right. It's, it, that, that's fascinating. It's just so different to what we have here. Um, whereas we all train as a state, and but no one has a, a unique program. There's one program and yeah. that's it. You turn up to training. We have a venue and and we train, which obviously has great perks with the social side, et cetera, but obviously doesn't have the individuality like your programs do. But also imagine, <laughs> this might sound a bit silly, but the challenge of finding somewhere to train that is suitable, like, you know, because you don't have, it's up to you to find the right place with, with the right park or an athletics track or, or whatever that may be. Yeah. I mean, it's a, we'll get a variation of things depending on where you live. So like some people, and especially if you're up North in the wintertime, you're on a treadmill or if you're lucky enough to have mm -hmm. an indoor track available. Yeah. Um, so it's then modifying the training to go on a treadmill. So, cause I mean, most of our officials can out sprint what a treadmill can do in the U S because they've got all these limitations on how fast it can go. Most of them top out at 12 miles an hour. Well, most of our officials can sprint that on a treadmill, like no problem. Yeah. Yeah. So then it's figuring out, all right, you've got to incline it and adjusting the session to do it incline, then trying to figure out ways you can still program in acceleration work when they don't really have a way to accelerate too much. So then you're adding jumping or just like 
three-step bounding that they can do in a little location. Oh, yeah. I thought jumping on a treadmill. I'm like, that doesn't sound extremely safe. <laughs> Imagine. No, do not jump on a treadmill. <laughs> uh, there would be a side. Uh. <laughs> I mean, I've... I've seen the videos. I don't know what your like gym culture is over there, but man, we've got some weird stuff that happens in <laughs> yeah. our gyms here. Oh man, yeah, I I love those I love those videos. <laughs> All those gym fails. Oh, there, there are some people that do some weird stuff. <laughs> so obviously, you had an off season that was like no other, Westy. How? has that impacted so mls started about two months ago mm-hmm. how is have you seen a difference to to normal are the, are the referees at their normal level or are they at a better level is it a real mixed bag yeah i mean i think so this is more judging from like our injury data and things like that but i mean a lot of our officials are in a better spot than they have been in the past we have our full Mm-hmm. Our full roster, which is the first time we've had our full roster in a while. And we had a very solid rate of people passing the fitness test. So we typically will have a number of fails and retakes and things like that. But I mean, most of the officials, we had a couple, but most of the officials passed on the first try, um, which was a, a really a positive sign. So I think the lengthened off season has allowed the officials to be in a really good spot leading into what's going to be a very busy, very busy work schedule for them coming up in less than a month now is we're losing 12 of our officials that are going to go work internationally at the gold cup, whether as a referee fourth official or a VAR. Um, and then we're losing a handful of assistant referees as well. And MLS is not stopping play. So they're, they're going to be going full tilt ahead and we'll be down 12 out of 25 officials. So they're going to be... Good opportunity for some for some new people to come in. <laughs> yeah, our, uh, our tier A out of the Pro 2 group has all been basically pulled up temporarily to fill in in that role, as well as we submit a number of fourth officials to the MLS list each week as well. So they're going to be, they're going to be quite busy. And as I kind of mentioned with the end of last year, at that point, it turns into from... Pretty much mid-June until mid-August, it's going to be just maintenance. So the volume's going to drop quite a bit. There's going to be, like, my philosophy is we're going to sprint once and we're going to do one high-intensity session and two to three gym sessions in a week. So that's that's what we're going to do in the middle of this mess. And like, I'll fall back on the MAS session because I know what I can get out of that because it's targeted so well. Like I can pretty readily predict what someone's heart rate profile is going to be if I've got the distance set right. So I'm, I know how much work they're going to be doing. And then with the sprinting, it's just trying to get them out and sprinting. If if their set uh, schedule's too condensed to have a spe- specifically dedicated sprint session, I'll just ask them to push it in the game prep just a little bit more. So it's, yeah, it's just going to be a big maintenance mode. And that's basically for everybody. Cause as people get pulled up, we've still got a full slate of USL NWSL and league one to fill. And we're just a few weeks in and we've got people, I think we're five, six weeks into the league one season or the, sorry, the USL championship season. And we've got people that have already worked three, four games in that six weeks period. And 
that's when I got to say, I got a say in how much someone rests. And so <laughs> it's just going to be, everybody's going to be working. And if they're not working in the middle, they're going to be a fourth official somewhere. So yeah. it's just going to be pure maintenance and hanging on. It's so, so yeah, interesting. No. So fascinating. All these formulas and, and things you have to work out. It's so interesting to hear all about and how much work you actually put into working out all these details for all these officials. This is so fantastic. I, I, I personally love it. I find it extremely interesting. Yeah, it's been really nice, again, with simplifying things so much. I've been able to focus quite a bit more on the progressions that I want to build in. Um, and so within that bucket that I was talking about, I can take a session like one week. I know what I'm going to do to increase it the next week, the next week, give them a little rest and then repeat that pattern. And again, when you only have a couple like key blocks, it's really easy when schedules get crazy. If I'm only focused on a couple main pieces to move around, then it makes things quite a bit easier. If I had like seven different sessions that I'm trying to cram in within that, it gets a lot more difficult when things get crazy, but keeping the main focus within the block pretty small, you're able to adjust quickly. And so that person's still progressing within the period of time, but you can adjust to having all of a sudden games pop up like crazy. John, you mentioned the Gold Cup and you're going to be playing a role there, which is pretty exciting. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so I'm going to be a fitness instructor down at the Gold Cup, which is CONCACAF's big tournament where all of the or the all of the federations will play each other so it's going to be housed in dallas and we'll have let me pull up the numbers really quick so it's basically course, there we go calf's version of the euros correct yeah it'll be concacaf's version of the euros and we'll have 19 referees eight fourth officials we're implementing var this time around so we'll have 12 dedicated var's and then 26 assistant referees down there. So I'll have a big group that I'm working with. I'll have the head of fitness on the CONCACAF side, Alan, uh, Alan Brown down there to help me out. But yeah, we'll be working that together from I'll fly down in mid or yeah, mid late June and then get back somewhere between late July and early August. So it should be a fun time training in that Dallas heat. And yeah, I'm going to, basically take the same philosophy that I used in Utah and Orlando and bring it into this. So I've already started to plan out kind of what the sessions are going to be based on when people have games and things like that. So I'm just having fun putting those puzzle pieces together and excited to be working with a group on the field again. So that's going to be really fun to be able to be out on the field every day. Yeah, that'll be really exciting. In tournaments like that, you know, they only, I presume it's like the Euros, they only come around once every four years. So especially after the, the year we've had, everybody will be, you know, super excited to be there, whether there can be fans at the stadium or not. It's it's good that, you know, you think USA versus Mexico or some of the other big teams in there, it'll be, you know, quality tournament, I expect. Yeah, I'm really excited and I'm kind of thankful for the practice I got at it last year. So this will be my first major tournament. I've been at a couple smaller tournaments with CONCACAF, but this will be my first big major tournament that I'm at with them. So I was excited that I got a little bit of practice going into it. Yeah, it, should be, it should be a lot of fun. Did you hear about a new podcast, The Coaching Corner? The Coaching Corner is a coaching podcast for referees. In each episode, 
Jack and I, Ale, discuss educational topics such as handball, your first game, pre-match instructions and more. Subscribe to the RefCoach podcast and never miss an episode. So John, we've spoke a lot about how important it is for your referees to, to have a, a custom program, something, a guideline, they can, something they can follow. So they know how to train in different situations, how to train based on their workload as well. So we've been really lucky that you have, re, you have created for, for us, for the RefCoach members, some amazing programs. And we have put them out there available to the community. So do you want to talk us through the programs? What, what are the differences? I know when, when I looked at them, it took, it took me, because I love this stuff, I, I just went through them and they're so interesting, so well articulated. Uh, there's so many good variations into all the training days. Yeah, so it was a really fun project because it made me really make sure that I was more focused and clear with what I was asking people to do because it's going to be people that don't, I don't interact with all the time. So like, yeah. I don't, it's harder for me to get across what I'm saying if I'm not really clear and focused. So it was a, just a really fun project to work on. And so I'll start with the balance program. That's kind of the most easy accessible program where if you aren't really too experienced with training, it, it touches and you don't know what you need to work on. It touches each of the bases pretty well. So you'll have some, you have some sprinting in there. You have the, not quite as specific of intensity work as you have in the high intensity program, but you still have some a variation of short and long interval sessions. And then you have some change of direction work, um, some kind of intro strength work as well. Yeah. It's just a nice, kind of accessible way to start following a training program if you haven't really done that before, or if you don't know what you need to work on and you just kind of want to get started. It's just an easy, accessible way to get started. And then the sprint program is if you are somebody that is tr having trouble with the sprints on the fitness test, um, this is a really good way to kind of build up that ability. Or if you are finding yourself stuck behind play or you're getting a score from assessor that your explosiveness is not very good, this is a really good way to get started working on improving your sprinting ability. It progresses week one and two, it progresses up, then kind of dials down and then progresses back up for the next three weeks. And I basically took what I've been using with my officials here who need to work on their sprinting and kind of distilled it down into a six week program. And there's some people that I've used this very short with. There's others who um, I've been working with for a couple of years in order to get them to the next level of sprinting. And we've been able to drop a few tenths of a second off of their sprints and get them to be able to officiate at the next level by following these, these principles of working on your acceleration. So if you don't get started well, you tend to not be able to sprint as well. And one of the biggest things I've noticed with watching over 100 fitness tests so far is a lot of referees tend to think you just need to go really quick out of the gate. Yeah. And instead of progressively building up through the first 10 to 15 meters and increasing the amount of power you're putting into the ground with each step to actually increase your velocity as opposed to just spinning your legs really fast. So the acceleration days are really there 
to get you to focus on being able to improve and increase the amount of force you put into the ground over those first 10 meters. And some of the other things I notice when referees are at top speed, there's a lot of butt kicking. So you, instead of driving the knee up, you tend to see officials kicking their butt through and then bringing their leg through. And so the working at max speed, trying to be up nice and tall, trying to drive that knee up is what's included in the max speed portion. And also just the importance of getting to max speed. So a lot of the literature has shown that the one of the best ways to uh, reduce the likelihood of lower body musculoskeletal injuries is hitting max velocity consistently. Because if you think about it, if your body's used to getting that that stimulus of the forces of sprinting at max speed each week, then if you all of a sudden have a quick counter and you have to sprint as hard as you can to make sure that you can see a challenge in the penalty area on the opposite end of the field, you need to go. And if your body's not used to it, it may midway through that going go, oh crap, I can't do this. And then you pull a hamstring and you're out. So giving your body that stimulus consistently is one of the most important things you can do. And side note, I was at the track the other day and saw these old guys sprinting, like they're in their sixties and they're running full two hundreds. So it doesn't matter what age you are. Like you can sprint. Like one of these guys probably could have beat me in a 200. Like they were, (laughs) and he was 60 years old. Like it was impressive, like beautiful, flawless technique. So if you work on it, no matter how old you are, you can sprint well, but you have to do it consistently. Otherwise you're going to get hurt. Like one of the things you hear about a lot with like the weekend warrior types is they'll tear an Achilles or rupture a hamstring, like playing pickup basketball or pickup football is they go to sprint and do something explosively and their body's not used to it and their body just fails them. So giving that stimulus consistently, not only will it help you improve that ability, it will help try to keep you safe and healthy throughout your career. Which is so important. It's not, it's not just about running fast, but it's also about being able to do it without hurting yourself. Absolutely. And I, I would say that's probably one of the things that's helped the officials within our training group to stay as healthy as they've stayed is we've really put a big emphasis on sprinting and we've discussed with them the importance of sprinting. And I mean, one of the metrics we have with their GPS units is we have what their max speed is and we have their max speed each week on a little dash dashboard to say what percent of their velocity they hit each week. And if they don't hit it, we ping them and say, Hey, make sure you're getting up on the velocity just because it's, it's so important. Um, especially when you're out on the field and you are in such a dynamic environment, you need your body to be as prepared as possible going in. And then we'll transition over to the high intensity. So I personally love using the maximal aerobic speed sessions because you're able to fine tune it so well for each individual person. So at the start of the program, you're doing the 2K time trial and you're figuring out what your max aerobic speed is. And then you're using that speed to set your training sessions. And so you'll, if you have a four meters per second as your max aerobic speed, and then the session says you're running for 15 seconds at 100%, 
So you're doing four meters per second times 15 seconds, which I believe is 60 meters. So you're running 60 meters in that 15 seconds, then you stand and rest. And as you progress through, you will see your heart rate slowly start to increase where by the third, late second, third, fourth sets, you'll be consistently in that zone four, which is one of the best areas to be if you're trying to improve your overall fitness and your ability to do repeated bouts and withstand a nice hard back and forth game. And you're doing it in a way where you can complete the session without completely crushing yourself. So if you're just going out and say you're trying to do 15-15, but you don't know what pace you're running and you don't know what pace you need to run. So if you just go out and run, you may be pushing too hard to the point where you're blasting into zone five in the first part of your workout. And then you're not giving yourself enough time in zone four to create the changes that you need to change. Because just spending like two or three minutes in zone four isn't going to help you. And spending like four minutes in zone five isn't going to help you. You need a good sustained amount of time there. And so that's the nice thing about the MAS sessions is the first set's going to feel easy. I personally end up falling into this trap pretty consistently is I'm like, oh, the first set, this was too easy. I need to increase the distance. (laughs) It's taken me, I mean, I've been doing these for a couple of years now and it's, it's still from time to time, I will get too overzealous and want to go from like 78 to 81 meters. And even that three meter change is going to get you, but it'll, it progresses you to the point where you can be maintain a nice amount of time in zone four to really give your body the stimulus it needs to improve your fitness. So that's why I love the MAS sessions. And in this program, you have the short ones, which are those nice 15, 15 on and off. And then you have the longer sessions, which are around three minutes of work and two minutes of a lower intensity. So you're working at a little, because you're going for a longer duration at like three minutes, you're working at 94% of your MAS. So you're getting, you're pushing your body for a longer period of time within that three minutes, but you're also not giving yourself a full recovery. And so that creates a, just a different stimulus to push you into zone four and give a different stimulus for your body to try to withstand. So that's your back and forth high intensity game, but it's sustained intensity. It's not like ping and then a little bit of recovery while one team plays with it and then ping back. This is where they're just going back and forth and you have to maintain that output for a period of time and your body has to sustain that and then be able to recover. So the, that's the kind of the key to this high intensity program is these MAS sessions and really giving a good hard effort at the 2K time trial so you know what to set it at. And that's it's been really, really effective for our officials. And it's a nice, easy thing when you're when you don't have somebody to train you in person, you you can measure it out and set your cones and you know how hard you need to go. Like if you don't have somebody there pushing you for your run, you may not know how hard you need to push yourself, but this gives you a target to push yourself to each time. And you can adjust it yourself. You don't need to have somebody watching you go, oh, no, you need to go harder. You need to go faster. Or this is too hard. Let's dial it back a little bit. You know if you're hitting that cone or not. So you know 
if you're hitting that cone and on set three, it's still feeling easy, you know, you can increase the distance by three meters and make it a little bit harder. On the flip side, if you're on set two and you're not making the cone, you know, you can dial it back a little bit. And so you can self kind of auto-regulate that session based on how you're feeling that day. Cause maybe you did your 2k on the like best day. You got great nutrition. You got great sleep. You didn't have a bad day at work. And so you were able to just crush that 2k time. And then when you go to do your MAS session and you've had crappy sleep, maybe your kids were up or your dog was barking all night and you couldn't sleep. You had a long day at work. And so when you go to do your session, you're not feeling that great. You can, you know what, how to downregulate that session, but still get in the stimulus that you want to get in. So that's why I love the MAS session so much from the perspective of not being able to be in person. And that's why I implemented them into this program. It's because it's an easy to understand and easy to utilize session that can be really effective if you put the work in and do it. Yeah. I think that's why the program, that one specifically is so good because it is so customizable to to anybody. Mm -hmm. Like I know I haven't done one of these sessions from start to finish because I've got you know, the own training, which was set here, but I pulled out a few sessions and yeah, really, really good stuff. Yeah. And I mean, ultimately any of these programs can be pretty adaptable and you can take pieces of them and implement them into what you're doing and you can kind of adjust it based on what you need. Cause I mean, the sprinting one overall, it's, it's pretty easy. Accelerate, get faster each step as you go. Don't start out of the gate spinning, get faster each step the max speed part build up and hit your maximal speed is your max speed going to be the same every day no it's going to be different based on how you're feeling that day how what you did the day before what your nutrition was but the goal of the session is to hit max speed in that session of how you're doing that day so yeah like these are the balanced one kind of takes a little bit of each. It's a little bit more intro level compared to the other two, but even that one you can adjust based on how you're feeling, but the other, the sprint and then the MAS specifically, it's, it's allows you to kind of self self adjust as you need. Man, I could listen to you speak about this forever. Uh, but aside from that, um, so if I am a referee that is just starting out or getting back into it, really, we want referees to get onto a balanced sort of more program where they can cover a bit of everything. And then I'm thinking, because one thing I notice in a lot of referees I watch is something that maybe it's not understood as strength enough. It's the change of pace in your running. Sometimes you see referees that can either walk or run. That's it. There's no mm-hmm. jog, there's no acceleration, there's no transition. So would that maybe, would, would that be like, if, if I'm a referee working on that aspect of my, of my fitness, would that be something found in the acceleration program? So I believe it's in each of the programs. So there should be some days in there on later in the week. So I believe it's Friday on one of them. It may be Saturday where you are doing some change of direction work, where there's some shuffling into a sprint, some backpedaling into a sprint. So yeah, working on that transition piece is definitely very important. And I mean, in the building up to the max speed, you start out and you're kind of going through each level of like progressing through each level of running. So you're starting out jogging and then you're transitioning up and up and up until you hit that max speed. 
So that's also a very good way to work on it. And with most of outside of the acceleration, you can kind of build that into any of them is kind of working on changing pace. Um, you can take the MAS session and set it up where you are getting a moving start and you're transitioning. Maybe you're going from lateral and then you're going into the run and you just do it within that. And there's things you can do where maybe you want to work on kind of more real simulating real game situations, then kind of measure out the general distance, but set a few cones up and go, maybe you go diagonally on one. And when you get there, you're blowing the whistle. So you can build in for people that don't have a group to train with or a group where you can work on those things. Like we don't in the States, you can kind of implement those or maybe at the end of your max speed sprint, you come to a stop and you have to make a decision. So you can build in those game sim simulations to the training sessions themselves, which is I've done with officials who have access to a field. I'll say, hey, this is what the work I want you to do. And then pretend you're doing a game and build that in, build that, bring your whistle out, get creative, make a call. Yeah. So, cause that's one of the things that our officials, like they, if they're not doing games, they don't get that, that practice yeah. with the whistle. Um, so just going out and like simulating it can be really effective. So John, the training plans, well, I know they're awesome. Speaking for myself, <laughs> I love them. And we, we've discussed throughout this episode, how important it is to have a training plan and, and how your referees in the MLS use theirs. Um, so we're super excited that you've partnered with Ref Coach to, to build these for our members. There's a free training program available on the members portal. So all you have to do is sign up. And then if you want one of the more advanced training plans or the balanced training plan, which, which John has just talked us through, which we're really excited about, that's available at refcoach.org slash shop. And you can go and get yourself one of those. So really, really exciting stuff happening there. So thank you for that, John. We really appreciate your time putting those together. Um, and also fantastic to chat today. It was great to be back with you. Um, it, it is always a pleasure talking to you. And it was fantastic hearing about how the bubble concluded, where they went over the off season and, and what's happening now in the MLS. I, I find it fascinating to learn about how, how another league does things. So Thanks for coming on, mate. Thanks for catching up and, and great to chat as always. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. And it's always fun to talk to you guys because I only hear the the kind of the noise around the fans talking about refereeing and what we're and pro specifically. So every time I talk to you guys, I always feel leaving good about what we're doing. Um, and <laughs> that helps kind of carry through some of the noise that I, I hear on social media about pro and things like that. So it's always great talking to you guys um, and appreciate Thank it. You, John. Awesome. Good stuff. All right. We'll catch you next time, John. Thanks, man. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, hit the subscribe button. For more referee education, join our Facebook group and become a RefCoach member for free at refcoach.org. If you like the work we do, you can support us by purchasing a ref coach whistle to show that you are part of the ref coach community when you're out on the pitch.